0: I heard a story this week about this guy who was really, really wealthy, and he had this giant house, and in the back of his house, he had this giant swimming pool, and this guy loved to collect live alligators, so he had this swimming pool full of live alligators. He also had a beautiful young daughter who had never been married, so he decides to have this big party at his house, and he gets all his guests together, and he says, listen, one of the values that I really admire in a person is courage. And so I want to um, make a proposition to all of you young single men. I will give you either $1 million in cash or my daughter's hand in marriage if you have the courage jump into this swimming pool full of live alligators and make it to the other side. No sooner had he said this, than there was a loud splash, and everybody turned around, and here's a guy swimming for his life in the pool. Well, he finally makes it to the other side alive, climbs out, his T-shirt is torn, he's got a few minor injuries. And the guy says, man, that has got to be the most remarkable display of courage I have ever seen, and I'm a man of my word. What do you want, a million dollars or my daughter's hand in marriage? And the guy says, I don't want your money, and I don't want your daughter. And the guy says, what do you want? He says, I want to know who pushed me in that pool. (laughs) The title of today's message is, some of you have already looked. It is Courageous Faith. And and church, today, we're going to look at a topic that honestly Some people would rather ignore. This is a topic that that many people find disturbing. It's a topic that a lot of people have a hard time relating to because it's outside of their personal experience. But this is a topic that Jesus dealt with personally. It's a topic that he wants us to learn how to deal with. And it's something he taught about in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount Um, Verse by verse, the very beginning is often called the Beatitudes. And once again, here's the big idea behind this, this teaching by Jesus, that an entirely different kind of life is possible when you sign up to follow Jesus, when you become a citizen of God's kingdom, when you allow Jesus Christ to rule in your heart by embracing him as your king. And there's this word that Jesus uses again and again to describe the people that actually follow him and embrace him as their king, and it's the word blessed. And we've seen what that word means over the last several weeks. To be blessed is to have this this peace, this contentment, this joy because of your connection with Christ. Now, today we're coming to the last of these statements by Jesus. And what he says in this passage is is sometimes confusing. It doesn't even make sense to some people. But you know, Jesus often said things that were like that. Um, For example, he said, the first shall be last. Um, if you want to find your life, you first have to lose it. And in these words, Jesus is giving hope and comfort to millions of Christians around the world because they deal with this topic on a daily basis. And the topic we're going to address this morning is persecution. Now, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. He says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to know that as I worked on the message this week I had a a personal connection to a lot of the things that I'm gonna be sharing this morning. It was about 12 years ago that I had the opportunity to begin traveling internationally and working with, getting to know pastors and their families' pastors and Christians who have faced intense persecution. And I saw courage firsthand. I saw people that were not afraid to speak out and speak up and paid dearly for their witness for Christ. Some of them to the point of losing their lives. Church, the truth is that Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet today. And this is not something that receives a lot of news coverage. Last year, the Washington Times read an editorial about persecution of Christians around the world. And this editorial actually received praise from organizations in the United States that deal with persecution. Here's a quote from that article. Persecution of Christians continues in certain parts of the world, mostly in the Middle East and throughout Southeast Asia. But it really gets much attention in the Western media. Even many churchmen in the West turn a blind eye. The persecution statistics are staggering. More than 300 people are murdered every month because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 200 houses of worship are destroyed and nearly 800 incidents of violence are committed every month. The Pew Center, this is an American secular research organization, estimates more than 75% of the world's population lives in areas of rampant religious persecution, mostly against Christians. But that's an amazing amount of persecution in this world. I want to show you a map. A map. This is um, produced by Voice of the Martyrs, an organization that, that deals with persecution around the world. You see all the countries in red? Those are described as restricted or hostile nations. This is where believers face incredible persecution. They're jailed. They're harassed. Some of them are tortured. Some of them are killed. They don't have access to Bibles or other Christian literature. Their friends and family just leave them, sometimes try to kill them because of their faith in Christ. And there are two places on that map that I visited last year. Um, One was Nigeria in Africa. And Nigeria is a place where there's intense persecution for the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of Christians face intense persecution in Nigeria. And one of the organizations that is behind that persecution is this radical Islamic terror group called Boko Haram. How many of you have heard of this group? They've been in the news a lot. Um, I was at a church service on a Sunday morning in Nigeria. The city is Lagos. It's like the 10th largest city in the world. And we were in this, um, it was an office building where they have church. This is a new church they're planting. And we were worshiping together. And one of the guys on our team turned to me and said, "Um, you know, we are sponsoring a church here in Nigeria and we found out this morning the pastor didn't show up for worship. And they believe that he's been kidnapped and we fear that he's been killed. That's their experience all the time. In fact, in the worship service, they had this extended period of prayer, praying for all the people they know personally that are facing persecution, people who have lost loved ones. And I remember when we were in Nigeria we were traveling around the city and we had to be very careful because there is this clash between um, Islam and Christianity. There were mosques all over the city and you would see these signs out front that were written in English because that's the the main language in Nigeria. And you could see from the statements this collision of two different religions. And I remember the guy that was kind of helping us navigate Um, Everything we did, he said, listen, we have got to keep a really low profile. In fact, when we traveled around, we were in this unmarked van that had really thick curtains so nobody could see us. But that's life for a Christian in Nigeria. And then last year, my wife Chris and I also had the privilege of going to Colombia, South America. We've been there quite a few times. And again, we spent time with pastors and their wives and their kids, and we heard these incredible stories of the persecution that they're facing. And Chris and I had the chance to, to pray with them, to cry with them, um, to listen to stories of pastors and wives whose kids have been killed, whose kids have been kidnapped. And I just was, was so affected by the courage that they displayed, that they keep serving Jesus despite this kind of persecution. And I share that with you because I want us to see... Um, not only what's happening in other places in the world, I want us to see what's happening here in our own country. Because over the past few decades, there has been this movement in America to become more and more secular. We are moving away from our historic Judeo-Christian roots. And because of that, there is much more opposition to Christian faith in America. Christians are being harassed. They're being excluded. They're being ridiculed in many ways. This week I was reading about... A situation that happened in Missouri, there was this church, and they wanted to do um, baptisms in a public place, like when we go to the beach and have, you know, beach baptisms. And the city government said, well, you can't do that unless you pay us and get a permit. A permit to baptize people? And so the church pushed back against this, and they actually um, got a congressman involved, and the city backed down and said, no, we've just changed our mind. You don't need to get a permit. Well, that's good, because that's protected by the U.S. Constitution. And there was another incident that happened. This is back in March of 2013 at Florida Atlantic University where a professor told the students to take a piece of paper, write the name Jesus Christ on the paper, and then stomp on it. And one of the students said, I'm not doing that. And so the college suspended the student and they were bringing disciplinary action against this student. And that's when some local Christians said, whoa, whoa, um, you're not going to do that. In fact, the governor of Florida filed a complaint against FAU and they backed down. And then there was something that happened to our church. This is when we were trying to get a a building permit here in Palm Beach County. Some of you may remember this. Um, The county commission said they were gonna have a new law that restricted the size of church buildings. You couldn't build a church building that housed or seated more than 250 people, regardless of how much land you had. And so they said, we're gonna have a public hearing on this new proposed law. And I remember showing up to this hearing. It was in one of the, the um, buildings there by the, um, the government complex. They chose a room that was too small because of the number of people who showed up. And I would imagine, if I just kind of looked around the room, at least, I don't know, 80% of the people in the room were pastors. And they told us, this is very interesting, they said, you have three minutes at the microphone. Now, they don't know pastors, right? What pastor's, you know, going to talk for three minutes? It's just not going to happen. And so I had my speech and I timed it. It was three minutes. You know, I was going to comply the best I could. But I'll tell you what, other pastors did not. And one after one, pastors got up and they said, you know what, you have no idea the impact that churches are making in Palm Beach County, the good that they're doing here. And then it was just a day or two later, I got a phone call from this national organization. They're a legal organization and they work to protect churches um, from religious discrimination and they said, um, we've already contacted the commission at Palm Beach County, and they've decided to drop this proposed law because they understand that it's not only discriminatory, it is absolutely unconstitutional. Now church, I, I share those stories because we need to realize that there is this growing opposition to Christianity and to churches in our own nation. And I really have several things I want to accomplish this morning. One is this. I want you to just have a better picture of what opposition to faith looks like around the world and even here. But I also want to encourage you to do this, to care about the Christians that are facing persecution. Listen, the people around the world that are committed to Jesus Christ are our family. They're our brothers and our sisters, and we should care about them, we should learn about them, and we should pray for them. But also, I want to encourage you this morning to make a commitment to be a more courageous Christian. To be willing to speak up and to speak out. And let me say this as well. Because I realize that on a Sunday morning, you know, people... Um, here in this room um, may have already made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe that was made years ago. Maybe it's a recent decision. Maybe um, somebody here this morning is just considering what it means to follow Jesus. You know, you're checking out Christianity. I hope that what you'll hear this morning will help you understand why Christians around the world are convinced that what they believe in and who they believe in is not just worth dying for, but worth living for. So, are you ready? We're gonna we're gonna answer a very practical question, which is, how should those who follow Jesus handle opposition to their faith? And here's the first thing, this is what Jesus says. This is um, based on this fact. Don't be surprised when you encounter opposition to your faith. And Jesus reminds us of that. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also." When I was working as a firefighter and a a paramedic, I clearly sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. And so I needed to go to graduate school and be trained in a seminary, but I had to have an undergraduate degree and I still had some more work to do. So I decided to enroll at FAU and be a fighting owl. And I still remember my first day on campus. Um, I'm really excited because, man, I'm going to follow God's purpose and I'm going to follow God's call. So I go to my academic advisor. And I'm there in the office and I'm sitting outside, doors closed, and I hear this yelling. I mean, it was really bad. And so the door bursts open. The this, this student storms out of the door. And I hear this professor, who's my academic advisor, go, next! (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, man. So I walk in. I've never seen this guy in my whole life. And this is the first thing he says to me. I hope to God you're not one of those blankety-blank Christians. And I looked at him and I said, well, uh, as a matter of fact, I am. And that was the beginning of a really interesting relationship. Because I was taking one of his classes, and I still remember it was a genetics course, and so there were like 25, 30 students in the class, and on a regular basis he would just say, so Mr. Hodges, since you're a Christian, what do you think about this? What do you think about evolution? What do you think happens to you when you die? And it was really fascinating, because I got to express to the class what I believed about these matters of science and faith, and I was sure they were not going to hear this perspective probably anywhere else on the university campus. And as I look back on that experience, I realize, you know, that shouldn't surprise us when we face opposition to our faith. And some of you are going through that right now. I know stories of people in our church that are facing opposition in their own family because of their commitment to follow Jesus. Some of you may be experiencing that at work or in your neighborhood. And here's the thing don't be surprised. And here's another thing don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the next thing in your outline. Look at this verse. It's from 1 Peter. It says, "But even, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now here in America, the level of persecution, the level of opposition we face is not as intense as it is in other parts of the world. And we recognize that. But there is a growing pressure on Christians in America to be silent. There's this pressure not to speak up or speak out about what you believe. To keep your convictions to yourself. Because after all, religion is a what? A private matter? Have you ever heard that? Now let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where the conversation is going in a certain direction and people are saying things about faith or Jesus or Christianity and you feel like, man, I should... I should step into this conversation, but you hesitate to do that? Have you ever been there? And I was thinking about it this week. Why is it that we hesitate to say something? And I think it's this it's fear. And we know that. There is this fear that, hey, if we say something, it could create controversy. If we say something, maybe people won't approve of us, maybe it will impact our friendship. Maybe I'll open my mouth and I won't know what to say. Have you ever had that kind of fear? I was thinking about um, when people invite us to go certain places and do certain things, I was thinking about a situation where I I know a Christian young man who was invited to go to a bachelor party. And he said, you know, I know it was going to go on. And I, I knew what I had to do. I had to say no, but I knew that I would pay a price, that people would talk about me behind my back. Isn't that true? But here's what I want you to know. When you're a Christian... You have the unwavering, the unconditional love and approval of Jesus Christ and of God your Father. And I'll tell you what, when you have that kind of approval, you don't have to worry about the approval of other people. And so when it comes to speaking up for your faith, do not be afraid. And here's another way to respond to opposition to your faith. Don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Instead, continue to do what is good. You know, sometimes when we're really serious about following Jesus, people are gonna say things about us that aren't true. Maybe you've experienced that. Um, Maybe somebody's told um, a lie about you, insulted you, um, damaged your reputation. When you choose not to retaliate, not to get even, whose example are you following? Remember, if you don't know the answer, it's probably who? Yes, and that's the right answer today. It is Jesus. Now think about this. Did anybody ever lie about Jesus? Say things that weren't true? Hey, you know that Jesus guy? He is a drunk. That's what they said about Jesus. It's right here in the book. He's a glutton. Hey, you know Jesus? All those crazy miracles he does, you know why he can do them? Because he's demon-possessed. Even when he's hanging on the cross, people insult him and say, hey, hey, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, if you're so powerful, just come down, and then we'll believe in you. And how does Jesus respond? This is what it says in 1 Peter. When they hurled insults at him, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And I love this verse. In the message translation of the Bible, it says this. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. When it comes to how we should respond to people who oppose our faith or try to hurt us, here's a quote from George Washington Carver. He's the man who studied all the uses of peanuts, and he said this. He said, I will never allow another man to control my life by making me hate him. Man, that's a good word, isn't it? And it's so consistent with Scripture. This is what it says in Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? with good. And this verse from 1 Peter, it says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what? Yeah, continue to do good. Now here's another way to deal with opposition to your faith. Number four, recognize who is behind the opposition. Recognize who is behind the opposition. You know, when we face opposition to our allegiance to Jesus, it's so easy to think that it's other people. You know, it's my, my boss. You know, it, it's that person in my family. It's that next door neighbor. They're against me. And sometimes we look at the news and we go, oh man, that whole country is aligned against Christianity or this religious group. What we need to realize is that there is a real supernatural struggle going on and a real supernatural being that opposes Christians. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There have been times when I'm talking to people and I'll bring up the idea that there really is a battle going on in the world, and I'll tell somebody, yeah, I think that you know, the devil is behind it, and you can see their eyebrows go up. Seriously? I thought you were educated. You believe? Isn't that the little guy in the devilwood, you know, on the Underwood deviled ham can with a pitchfork? You believe in that guy? Well, you know, I believe in the devil and here's why. Because Jesus did. And Jesus faced opposition from Satan and so do we. And so when you have this temptation to keep your mouth shut and not speak up, that's where it's coming from. Now Christian, let me say this. There is such confidence Um, there is such peace and knowing what the scripture says is true and i love this verse i learned it a long long time ago greater is he who is in you speaking of god's holy spirit greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world which is the evil one satan so remember that when you face opposition to your faith now here's another another thing that we can do ask god for courage to stand firm against opposition God wants us to stand firm, but we need to ask him for the courage to do that. Look at these verses, and again, it's related to the warfare that we experience. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice this next statement, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is stepping out in faith despite your fear. And there are two things when people say, Pastor Dudley, how can I pray for you? I tell them this. Here's my go-to request for wisdom and courage. Please pray that God will give me wisdom and courage, the wisdom to know what God wants me to do and the courage to actually do it. I was thinking this week, about two social issues that have really polarized our nation. And this has been going on for quite some time now. One is abortion and the other is gay marriage. And the question is, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how are you supposed to respond to these social issues? And my answer is very straightforward. Respond like Jesus did. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And in the last couple of months, I've had a number of individual conversations with people about these issues. So let me just be, as I say, let me be clear. Um, because what we believe is based in Scripture, and when it comes to the sanctity of human life, we believe that every human being is valuable to God from their conception until God brings them to the end of their life. Why is that? Because we're made in the image of God. We have intrinsic worth and dignity and value. And when it comes to these Issues surrounding sexuality, again, we go back to the book. And what the book tells us, what God tells us, is that in the beginning, he created us male and female. And God designed this covenant called marriage between a man and a woman. And I've heard people say, well, Jesus didn't have anything to say about these issues. And I say, well, what you need to do is go to Matthew 19 and read what Jesus said about marriage. Because he's affirming what it says in the book of Genesis. Genesis that God made us male and female and that marriage was God's idea between a husband and a wife. And so, church, when God is is clear in his word, he wants us to stand firm and not compromise our convictions. But let me be quick to add this. We need to connect with our culture. Our culture is always changing. And God says, I've given you a mission in the world. You need to connect with your culture, but never compromise my truth in order to do that. And here's what that means. It means that there are people who have different perspectives than we find in the Bible. I mean, there are Christians who disagree about stuff in the Bible. We know that too. And so when we encounter people who have a different set of convictions, a different lifestyle than we do, how do we respond? Two words, in love. In love. It breaks my heart when Christians represent Jesus poorly because they don't respond in love to those who are different than they are. We want to be like Jesus. And here's the thing. I mean, I deal with this all the time as your pastor. People come to me, and and these are people in our church family, dealing with these issues. We call them social issues. They're moral issues Uh, about, you know, being gay or abortion. And, And I say, look, here's what we want. We want a church where people will do and say what Jesus said and did. We really do, because... let let me just share this. This will be helpful. Somebody asked me point blank. "Um, Pastor Dudley, are gay people welcome at Boynton Beach Community Church? Good question, right? So I thought for a moment and I said, let me ask you this. Do you think that Jesus welcomes gay people? And this person said, well, of course. I said, well, so do we. Because we want to be like Jesus. But then I asked this question. I said, as you read the Bible, as you read what Jesus said about marriage, do you believe that Jesus approves of a gay lifestyle? And this person said, no, I I honestly don't. And I said, listen, as as a pastor and as as a church, we want to be like Jesus because Jesus did this. He accepted people without approving of their behavior because Jesus wasn't going to compromise his convictions about who he was and the word of God. And here's the reality. We all struggle in many ways, don't we? I, I struggle. You struggle, we all struggle. Some people struggle more with sexuality. We struggle in different areas, but here's the deal. God wants us to understand and pursue his plan for our lives, for every aspect of our lives. I was out in the lobby this morning, and I walked over to the the resource table, and I was reminded that there's a a ministry that we support. It's called Harvest USA, and I picked up two of their, their publications here, And this is what it says, caring for sexually hurting people in Jesus' name. And that's exactly what they do. I know the man who founded this organization over 30 years ago. Um, He's become a friend of mine. And his wife was actually a childhood friend of Chris. So we know them both very well. And I'll tell you what, they do an outstanding job of presenting God's truth with God's grace. And, uh, you know, here's two different publications, Women's Sexuality in the Church. Here's another, Giving Parents and Families a Voice on Sexuality. So listen, if you're struggling with any of these issues, man, there are resources that are available to you. And here's here's what I hope you'll understand. We want our church to be a place where people can be honest. We don't want people to have to come here and pretend about the struggles in their lives. Because I know this that it is God's truth and it is God's grace that heals our hearts and heals our lives. And this church is intended by God to be that kind of place, a place where you can encounter the truth of God and the grace of God so that God heals your life. But I will tell you this, there have been times when I have tried to be as loving and as gracious as I could possibly be in presenting the truth of God's word and people have said, no, thank you. In fact, they've really pushed back hard. So what do you do when that happens? Well, take a look at your outline because here's the next thing that I want you to see. Remember that opposition can strengthen your faith. Opposition can strengthen your faith. Look at this verse. It says this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much pri- praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. If you want to make a muscle stronger, you've got to exercise against resistance. The greater the resistance, the stronger the muscle becomes. Your faith works the same way. When there is opposition to your faith, your faith can become stronger. And not only that, God has promised to reward your faith and your faithfulness. And that's the last thing this morning. When you face opposition, rejoice because you will be rewarded in heaven. This is what Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, realize this. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you're rude, if you're obnoxious, If you're self righteous and you think you're better than everybody else because you're a Christian, don't expect a reward. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, look, when you're trying to do what I would do if I were standing in your place, when you reach out with love and compassion, that's the kind of of action, that's the kind of heart that will be rewarded. And, church, let me just say this as I wrap, wrap things up this morning. Every time you face opposition, it's an opportunity. It really is. To respond like Jesus. To respond with love and grace. To let people know there is hope in this world. And listen, we all know this. People desperately need hope. Isn't that true? There's a verse in the Bible. was written by Peter, a follower of Jesus. And he said that we should always be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. And yet we should do this with gentleness and respect. And I was thinking this morning, You know, how would you respond if somebody looked at your life and said, man, you seem to have hope. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you what, if somebody asked me that question, you know, why do you have hope? I would say this. It's real simple. Because Jesus rescued me. Because my life was broken. Because I was struggling. Because my stubborn pride and sin had separated me from a holy God. And I knew that what I deserved was to die and be separated forever. But God loved me so much But he sent his son to this world and and Jesus did what I could never do. He lived a perfect life and then he voluntarily let people nail him to a cross so that he could die in my place and pay for my sins and he told me that if I would follow him, if I would give my life to him, that he would give me a new life. And I know that's true because he came back to life. And I know that today I can say, with with great conviction that my past is settled, that my future is assured, and I know that Jesus Christ is gonna give me everything I need for the pressures and the problems that I face today. And because of that, I can live with hope. And I know this, that God has given me both the privilege and the responsibility appointing other people to Jesus so they can have hope. And church, that's true for every follower of Christ. And so I wanna ask you one question. Last question. So on your outline, take a look at your outline. Here's a question. If Christianity was illegal in America, sounds like a crazy idea, doesn't it? But what if, if Christianity was illegal in America, because it's illegal in like 50 plus countries around the world, and you were accused of being a Christian, consider this. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, how many of you have ever encountered that question before? I'm curious. Okay, a number of you. I remember the first time I was sitting in a church service and the pastor asked that question and you know what my immediate thought was? I am such a bad Christian. Seriously, I just, there's so much I could do, there's so much I should do for Jesus and I just feel terrible. Well, can I tell you something? That is not my goal in asking the question. Not to make you feel guilty. My goal is to make you courageous and to look at your life and think, okay, what could I start doing to let people know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, to stand up for what I believe in. And let me give you some practical ways to do that. Now, some of you are already doing this. For some of you, it it may be a step of faith. But here's one thing, let people know you're a Christian. Now, it could be your next door neighbor and you've talked to them for a while but they don't know you're a believer or somebody at work or somebody um, in your neighborhood or wherever you go. And here's the thing, if you're looking for opportunities, God will give you opportunities. If you pray for opportunities, God will give you opportunities. So step into them and don't be afraid to do that. You can tell people the reason you have hope is because Jesus rescued me. Now here's another thing. When you go out to a restaurant and you get your food, did you know it's okay to pray in public? And here's the thing, your server will wait. All right? So for some of you, you do it all the time. It's second nature to bow your head and, you know, pray in Jesus' name. For other people, you're kind of reluctant to do that. It's okay to let people know that you pray and that you thank God in Jesus' name. And here's another thing. I have a friend, and uh, he was telling me that he has a Bible on his desk at work. And so he said, you know, he has all these meetings throughout the day, and people come in, and they look at the Bible, and they go, huh, that looks like a Bible. He says, yeah, it is. <laughs> And it starts all these conversations. Do you believe what's in that book? Oh, yeah, I do. Let me tell you about it. <clears throat> I actually um, brought a Bible in this morning that I um, had for years. And you can see this Bible is absolutely <laughs> falling apart. And this was my fire department Bible. Um, I would take this to work every day. And it has got all these notes. It's all marked up. And, and I treasure this Bible. And one of the reasons I treasure this Bible is because it led to conversations with guys that I really cared about. Guys who made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And church, I want to encourage you this morning. I want us to do this together. And this is really my prayer for all of us, that we would represent Jesus well in this world. And that we would be men and women of courage who point people to the only hope there is. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your word because we believe, God, that your word is faithful and true, just like you. Father, we believe that you can be trusted. And God, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters around the world who face such such suffering and trials and persecution that you would help them, God, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that you would deliver them. And God, sometimes you deliver them by taking them out of this world, and we understand that. But God, we understand this too. When we get to the end of the book, when we get to the end of this age, yours is the victory. Lord Jesus, you've already won the war is won, but the battles continue. So God, help us to have strength for the battles that we face. I pray for those this morning that are facing opposition to their faith. Lord, help them to have courage not to be afraid, not to be surprised. And Lord, for the person who's here this morning and they've heard this this message about opposition to Christianity and they realize, I've never decided to become a Christian. But God, today could be the the moment in time that changes their entire life. And if that's you this morning, I just pray for you. I pray that you will understand that there's a God who loves you like nobody else, who wants to give you a new life, and all you have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you died on a cross to pay for my sins, and I believe that in order to have this new life, I have to follow you and trust you. And I want to encourage you to tell God that in your own way, in your own words. You could even leave this service today and go home and talk to Jesus, talk to God about that later. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you that someday we will see your will done perfectly. And until then, we continue to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, that your kingdom would come, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, today, um, we just want to stand and sing this last song because it reminds us that whatever opposition we face, we do not need to be afraid because you are with us and you are for us. And for that, we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.